Good day and welcome to the CFAL Talks podcast. I trust all is well. We at Kalina Financial Advisors Limited welcome you and thank you for joining us. My name is Claudia Thompson and I will be your host for this series. Today I have with me our CFAL experts, Pamela Musgrove Ferguson, Vice President of Investments, and Sophia Thurston, Vice President of Pensions and Operations. I'm sure we can all agree that saving is essential to achieving financial security and is also crucial to our overall well-being. Financial stress causes a multitude of problems. The goal of this series is to help listeners understand the importance of saving towards financial freedom and to help people develop a plan that will secure their financial future. Our experts will give tried and true methods that will lead to financial freedom, even in the midst of the present economic crisis. So is it possible for those making minimum wage to save? What tips or practical solutions can you give to help people with very limited income making minimum wage? How can they achieve financial security? The U.S. is considering a $15 per hour minimum wage. Should the Bahamas look at increasing our minimum wage? Would that help people to save? You know, I had... um a potential client who sent a WhatsApp. It was during the time last year when we were involved with the port bonds, the 8% bond. And they wanted to know, how can they get to a point in their life where they are not living paycheck to paycheck and they have that financial security and freedom to invest in vehicles like that? And I really pondered that. And you mentioned minimum wage, which is... Currently in the Bahamas, $210 for private workers and $220 for public service workers um, per week. And that can be very difficult. But I think the key to achieving financial security is to live below your means. So if if you have that as your underlying goal, it doesn't matter what you make, $210 a week, or $2,100 a week. If you are constantly spending more money than you make, you will eventually come to financial ruin. I think one tip I would offer is for them to create a budget. If, if you are at a minimum wage, and you know, so finances are tight, um, you really do need to watch how you spend. And if you are looking to try to save more, um, You need to evaluate on a monthly basis. How did I do against this budget? And where can I improve? But if you don't have a budget and you're not monitoring, it is going to be very, very difficult to accomplish your goals. Yeah, and a lot of times people get intimidated by the word budget because it seems complicated and so they shy away from it. But a budget is simply planning. It's just setting out a plan. And so... If you're at minimum wage, that's $210 per week or $840 per month. Then you cannot afford an apartment that's $600 per month. So if you are practicing living below your means, then you're going to have to be creative. And it may mean that you roommate with somebody in a two-bedroom apartment that probably is $600 a month, but you get a room, someone else gets a room, and then you're only paying $300 per month for your rental expense. 
And so you have to make those conscious decisions to get out of the state that you're in by cutting your expenditure as much as possible. So do either of you guys have a budget guideline that you can give our listeners something as a, that they can use as a loose outline to base their budget on? How should they portion their expenses, their savings, all of that, please? Well, in the last podcast, we gave a rough guideline of 50 to 60% for your regular living expenses for rent, mortgage, food, school fees, car payments, um, clothing, etc. Insurance is 60%. And then we say about 5% is for your pension retirement because the normal match is five five um, for countries um, companies sorry in the Bahamas and then about ten percent there's regular savings and that will include your emergency fund personal savings and we also lump in national insurance because three point nine percent of your income is directed towards national insurance and then we say ten percent for church for charity if you want to if you don't believe in tithing and you want to give it to charity ten percent for that and then another fifteen percent for entertainment and luxury so generally speaking that's overall what we recommend persons to do and so setting out a plan and 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 living according to that plan and that's why it's so important to live within your means. And so you'll make those adjustments. So if you know that you're only making X amount, then you could only spend X amount on certain areas or certain categories that I mentioned. Well, that's a good budget guideline. I think our listeners could use that. So many people live on the edge financially or from paycheck to paycheck. They're consumed with massive amounts of debt. According to the Central Bank's Financial Literacy Survey, only 48% of respondents have the equivalent of at least six months' worth of income saved for emergencies. Alternatively, about 13% of respondents could not manage for more than one month. How do you help pull those with insufficient savings who are also heavily in debt from the brink of financial disaster and put them on a path of financial freedom? So if someone is on the brink of disaster financially, I think, and they have a lot of loans, one option is to consolidate their debt. And what that does is um, it will give you a lower monthly payment and allow you to free up some cash um, to spend on other items. Now, the loan consolidation could be a trap. Some persons do it, and then they still end up getting additional debt. So you, you really need to restrict yourself um, so that you don't still end up in the same position you were before. So someone could take out a loan in addition to already consolidating their other loans? Yes. Oh, okay. Wow. So, you know, you go to the bank and you take all the loans you have, they put it together, and then I, we, we are trying to get a credit bureau here in the Bahamas because we don't have that policing. They could go to Furniture Plus, get a whole new set of furniture, a new consumer loan has started. Or go to another bank or financial institution and say, I have this excess, I could pay. And so they're not helped in that situation because they allow themselves to go back. So you think having the credit bureau would help with this to help people not be so much in debt? Definitely. I think um, our culture is spend, spend, spend. And so I think if it is being policed, it will definitely help persons. Well, definitely living paycheck to paycheck will hinder your your desire to be financially 
to be financially free. You know, there's a saying that I, I particularly like, and it goes, when your output exceeds your input, your upkeep will be your downfall. So when your spending exceeds the income you receive, your lifestyle will be your downfall. And I think that's the challenge for persons living paycheck to paycheck. And paycheck to paycheck, this means whatever you make today, that's what you spend. The key to securing financial security is what you're spending. A lot of people think it's the income. If I make more. Well, if you make more and you don't have the discipline on spending, then you will spend more because that's what we tend to do. The more we make, the more we would spend. So the key is to watch your spending. And I go back to what I've said, live within your means. So if someone were to say to you, okay, I need to reduce my expenses, what three things should you hit first? Like what are the big ones that they could see a direct impact on their bottom line? I'm thinking maybe um, traveling, housing, schooling. Those are the three that come to my mind. But what what would you advise someone who's trying to reduce their expenses? Yeah, I I think what you if you if you find yourself in a situation a difficult situation financially, you really have to assess everything at that, at this point. And I think one of the ways to begin assessing stuff is look at your needs versus your want. We convince ourselves that our needs, our our wants are really our needs, but not so. So, for instance, during the pandemic, you lost your job. You didn't have any savings. Maybe the kids went to private school. And I know the, the quality of education is generally better in a private school than it is in a public school. But you are up against a rough path. Now, you may want your kids to go to the private school, but you don't need them at this point to go to the private school. So to survive right now, maybe what you look at doing is taking them out of the private school, putting them into the public school where you don't have to pay anything and work with them to ensure they are not, they don't fall behind in their studies. So that's a way you can look at it. You may look at rental um, expenses. Maybe you were living somewhere where you were paying eight $900 a month for rent. But because of the financial situation you are in, you cannot afford that. So look for some place where you don't have to pay as much. Or like I mentioned, you could room with somebody where you pay a lesser amount and don't have the stress of trying to figure out what you, um, try to figure out how you're going to meet this obligation. And then also maybe look at generating additional income. You may say it'd be difficult you know, but they say crisis is a time for opportunity. That's excellent. Um, I think another way is to get rid of credit cards. Um, you know, a lot of people think they need credit cards, but it's really just for consumer spending. And so if you could get rid of credit cards and utilize just a debit card, you will only spend what you have. Credit cards encourage you to spend beyond because you think, oh, I could pay for that later, but the, the price is high between the interest rates and the late fees, that's a heavy tag. I agree with the credit card situation. I I have a friend who actually 
cut up her credit cards because she said she had no discipline <laughs> with paying them off and she would run up credit card debt and she decided, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. She paid all of them off and she cut them up and she's never gone back. She pays cash or she just uses her debit card. So, you know, once you make up your mind, you can do it, right? And I, and I think people get deceived with the minimum payment. If you are getting a credit card to only pay a minimum, the minimum payment, you don't need a credit card. I don't think you should have a credit card. Because the idea of the credit card, I think, is to provide you with that liquidity until you are able to pay it off, which is shortly after, so that you don't incur all of those fees. But if you have a credit card and you find yourself only making the minimum payment on the credit card, then you are not the person who should have a credit card because you'll take a longer time to pay it off and you're incurring a lot of charges on the interest charges on those credit cards. And it's not good to your, if you are desirous of achieving financial freedom and security. My first credit card was an American Express. And I got that when I was at college. And I think, you know, there was a tremendous lesson to be learned. As a college student, I didn't have a lot of money. And so I was very limited to what I can charge. And so that taught me the American Express card is one card where you have to pay the bill in full when you get it. And so from college, I learned that discipline that if I spend this today in a couple of days later, I need to be able to pay this off. And so I have always been in the habit of paying off my credit card bill bill in full. And I think that is very important. You do not go to those minimum payments. And as a result, you get more credit. They keep increasing it. <laughs> I know my first credit card I got was when I came out of university and I got a car loan and they just automatically gave me the credit card. And I always thought that period was an interesting time um, in my life because I went from not earning anything to earning a salary. I think at the time I was making $375 per week, but I was always out of money. <laughs> I was always out of money. And I started to draw money from the credit card. And when I realized those fees that they were charging, you know, I had an epiphany and I, I made a stop as you know, this <laughs> makes absolutely no sense to me. And so that along with a, a, a series of events, uh, I decided at a point, no, I, I, I can't live like this. I can't live like this. So this is another scenario that some of the banks um, are dealing with as well. Is it okay to borrow from a bank and put that money on an interest-bearing savings account? So they're finding that some clients want to borrow money, but then put it into some sort of saving and investment account. And they're trying to find out if that makes sense financially. Like I mentioned, if you are borrowing at a higher cost than you're earning on the investment, no. It makes no sense. So they're taking out the loan for probably 13, 14%, and the account that they're actually getting is only paying them maybe 3%, yeah, if yeah. that. It, it, it makes it makes no sense. And I know a lot of people also, they look at margin loans. You should never borrow for a risky type investment because as we mentioned in um, earlier how the level of risk is linked to the level of return. And so if you go to the bank, for instance, and let's say you use your credit card, 18% to buy some equities, and the stock, mar- the stock market crashes and you lose 12% of, that, of, of those 
equities, right? That means you're paying that cost, and then the bank, if you're doing a margin loan, can, can you have to call in this loan, or you have to pay some money towards this loan, and you're in a very difficult uh, position. So it's not advisable to use credit, particularly if it's expensive, to invest in relatively low-yielding co- low investments. So let's talk a little bit about emergency funds. And does it really make sense to start one during the current COVID-19 crisis? Um, so an, e- an emergency fund um, is a financial safety net. You know, it's putting money aside, as we said, for a rainy day. And I believe if you have, you still have a job today, and you have some excess, I think it's important. Um, you could see what happened during Doreen with the COVID-19. If you don't have an emergency, an emergency fund, I think it's very important to start one now. Um, it may take a while for it to build up, but at the end of the day, you will have something set aside in the event we have another disaster. Um, and, you know, you look around the world today and from one country to another country, there's always some disaster happening. So I think an, em- an emergency fund is really needed at this time. Yeah, and so I, I think you have to remember that an emergency fund is three to six months of your living expenses. And the fact is, let's just say somebody had three to six months of living expenses at the beginning of this pandemic. They would have been exhausted right now because this is going on for a year now and we don't see any end in sight right now. But it was still a good idea to have it because it will alleviate a lot of the stress that you would have uh, enjoyed had you not have an emergency fund. So I think people should strive to have it and not be overwhelmed by the size of it because you may think three to six months um, living expenses is a lot of monies, but to start with as least amount as possible and build up. See, I always say to people, savings is a discipline. It's a mindset. And once you start it and you get in the habit of it, it comes natural. So an emergency fund should be invested or where should you keep that? In a commercial bank? What do you suggest? I think short term. Um, so you want liquidity. And so a bank is a good idea for an emergency fund. Um, even if it's a fixed deposit, it's easy to break versus a mutual fund where you have to sell your shares and get those back. Um, I, I think liquidity is key. When, when, whenever persons have an emergency, they want their monies immediately. Mm-hmm. They do not like to wait. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, the banks are good. I mean, they have some, some products that offer, you know, 2 to 3%. And so you could take advantage of those. Do you think it's possible for people to shift their mindset from the need for enjoyment right now to the long-term mindset of delayed gratification? What do you say to someone who says, I may not live to see 70 or 80. Why shouldn't I just enjoy my life now? You're telling me to save for later on something that may never come. What, what is your advice to them? I think it's possible. Difficult, but possible. I think we mentioned in the first podcast how someone's financial mindset is set by the age of seven in terms of planning and desire for instant gratification. So I think a lot of that is a learned behavior. You watch your parents, you watch the people around you, and um, you tend to act it out based on what you see. 
So to get to the point of realizing that you want different, I think it's possible, but you have to come to that conclusion and do whatever it takes to change your mindset. And it's, it's done by action. So if you say, you know, I'm over my head in debt, then you have to begin to do some things to get out of debt. And it may mean cutting up the credit card, no more, and using monies to pay down those high interest rate debt and also putting something towards saving. It's difficult, but it's possible. Yeah, I agree. It's very difficult to, to shift the mindset. I think it's almost comparable to the, you know, persons of an addiction. And they, they have to come to that realization that this is no longer good for, for me. And I need to do something different if I want to see a different result. Um, so once they come to that realization, then they can make that change and experience a better financial option. So usually these mindset shifts, they would usually happen after something in your life that makes you really take stock of what's going on. Um, losing a job, you know, having to assist a family member, something like that. Do you think it has to be that or can it just be that I want to achieve something with my life? Does it have to be something drastic or does it just have to be I want to do something more? I think it could be that persons are looking at other people and who seeming, who are seemingly successful in terms of financial management and they want to be like that. And it could be that situation where I lost my job or just a frustration about um, living paycheck to paycheck and wanting something different and believing that they deserve something different. I spoke about how the potential client was saying, you know, I, you know, I just, I, I want to move from this point of just living paycheck to paycheck and to be able to participate in investments like the port that was issued, that was paying 8%. So it can be a number of circumstances that you are confronted with to make you think that I want better. And then the, the next step will be where do you go to get better? And you can call up a financial advisor or you can, you can speak to that person who you see. Sometimes, sometimes if you just call people up, I mean, you may not know them personally, but you call them up and say, you know, I want you to, to talk to me about this. Just give me some help. And sometimes people will, will comply. I know with pensions, um, it seems for some persons, it happens when they realize they are 10 to 20 years out from retirement and they have not put aside anything, they, they, they are ready now to make this drastic change um, of saving. And so they're like, you know, I, I have spent everything I've earned and um, in professions like, like doctors, accountants, where they have their private practice, I think at some stage they realize this is not going to go on forever. And so I really, it's important for me to put aside some funds so that when I retire, I could still enjoy a comfortable standard of living. Um, but at that point, of course, they have to save a lot more. But the mindset shift is there. And like we mentioned, I think um, it's advisable to when you get your first job, when you start to earn an income, to put something aside. And, and you know, there are products that exist today where you can start with as low as $25 and add to it. But I think if you start out when you get your first major job by putting something aside, 
Even as a monthly basis, even if you just put in $25 aside on a monthly basis, do something because over time it will build. And you, once you develop that discipline, you would find that the more you make, the more you put aside on a regular basis. So I'm a person out there. I lost my job. I don't have any savings or a pension plan to assist me. Where do I begin on this journey of saving my way to financial freedom? Do I go to my family? Do I go to my church? Do I look to government assistance? What would your advice to someone like that be? My advice would be really to start with your family. Um, you know, your family should be a good safety net um, where you feel comfortable and um, it's safe. You know, so if you have lost your job, you're, you're hoping this is temporary. And so your family should be there to help you get food, help you pay your rent. And in the event your family cannot afford to assist you, um, hopefully you're a member of a church somewhere and your church family can jump in and help. Um, next is social services. And um, in COVID-19, they have paid out millions of dollars in assistant, assisting persons who had need. And the food programs continue still today in feeding. And so there are a number of avenues. Um, but I noticed that there are persons who have had to resort to go into the media and, you know, to get help. And I mean, that is, they were saved. Persons came forward and helped them. Um, but I look at those situations and I'm like, it shouldn't have to be that way. You know, they shouldn't have had to make it so public in order to get assistance. Yeah, I think all of the above. And I think persons have to put their pride aside and seek out help because this is a very difficult time for many people and persons who probably never thought that they would be in this position because they've always worked, they paid their bills, but it's just that they didn't have anything saved up for the rainy day. So I think this is a time where the focus should be for individuals on surviving, surviving. And so seek out the help where it is and survive to, to, to be on the other side of this pandemic and, and possibly put into place those those things that you wish you had done, but at that point would be given the opportunity to implement. How did you both learn about personal money management? Was there a turning point for you? When did it click? So I learned about um, personal money management by reading. So I went through the books and I read a lot. And it first clicked um, on my first job. I was living paycheck to paycheck. And really, I did not enjoy um, having to wait, that wait to the end of the month, you know, to get some more funds. And so I, I had to change some things in order um, to be able to experience financial freedom. So for me, yeah, it was on my first job. I think it's a combination of, of stuff for me. Um, my mom told me at a very young age, she wanted me to be an accountant. And she said that because I like to count money. <laughs> and so just by her telling me, you know, I wanted to be an accountant. And then I grew up in church and I always had positions in church, a treasurer um, for the youth ministry. I was financial secretary at my church at one point. And so I got exposed to money. But like Sophia, when I got my first job, I found myself living paycheck to paycheck and also uh, drawing down cash from my credit card. And I think at one point, I was behind in some bills and also behind in my tithes. 
and I make a radical, I made a radical decision. I took one paycheck because we were paid monthly at the time. And I took most of that paycheck, pay my back tides and clear all of my bills. I made that radical decision. And from that point on, I said, I'm not going to be like that again. I'm going to consistently, first and foremost, pay my tithes and pay my bills um, as they come due. And I've been successful, thanks to God, in doing that. And I think another situation was my first real bonus I got was $4,000. And I remember I took the entire bonus and I placed it into one of the C-File savings vehicles. And so from that, what I learned was whenever I get a bonus, I took over 80%. Now, it's not a magic number. I just looked at what I needed to live on, and I would not take the 100%, but I put about 80% in savings. And whenever I got an increase, I took a portion of that and put it towards savings because I have an automatic savings now every month. Monies go to my investment account. And so I learned to do that because I wanted to keep, you know, build up on a nest egg that will help me for the future. So I, in essence, tried to maintain my my living standards or my lifestyle within a certain set so that I didn't have to go into debt in order to get the things that I want. And when I have a, an emergency purchase, then I have the resources to rely upon well, thank you so much, ladies, for sharing. Everything was insightful. Appreciate it so much. C-File Talks would love to hear from you, our listeners, on what financial topics you would like our experts to discuss next time. Please send your suggestions to info at cfile.com or visit our website, cfal.com.